stand if you are able and join me in the call to worship. Come, let us gather in the awareness of God's love. We can live with confidence and hope in the assurance that we are forgiven and accepted by a power greater than ourselves. Because we are forgiven, we too can forgive. Let us praise this God of endless grace and offer our hearts true worship. Amen.
welcome. I want you to meet some new people. Rosemarie Craig, one of our new choristers, Martinson Scholars, Kiana Little, Kiana Little, I'll do this right now, Camp Sheeler, we're so glad to have them. Thank you for being here. I also want to say, Anna Virginia Jones spent this week doing her traveling, doing her um, interviews for medical school. So please keep her in your prayers. Although she's very smart, she's going to do very well. I think she'll be okay either way. But um, we're proud of you. Southside is an inclusive community of grace. If you consider becoming a member here, if you're a visitor, you should know that your membership here will make a difference to this church. You're needed, you're wanted, and you'll make a difference in the world. We don't come down now because of our robes. We did in the summer when we weren't wearing robes. But do know that we in the choir love you. We wish you peace and joy. And now I'd like to ask you to do the same among yourselves. My father's namesake was George W. Truett, the longtime pastor. The only pastor that he ever served was First Baptist Church of Dallas. My mother named my father Truett Gannon for him. They heard him speak at the Baptist World Alliance back in the 30s, early 40s. And my father used to play the one of his sermons about our burdens for me on the record player, Drop the Needle. I still listen to that. You can listen to his sermons. They're not always politically correct. Nothing was back then. No one was. No one is now. None of us are perfect. But his heart was always in the right place in every sermon I've heard him preach. What I've learned is I am almost always, I'll change that, I'm always wrong when I feel myself most right. This is my invocation. Looking back on this week, I have to report in that I was very haughty about something at work 
undertook an action that I thought was quite generous. And when I didn't receive the proper thanks and recognition afterwards, I reported that to a friend and said, how dare they, really, is what I was saying. Very haughty. And no sooner had I complained about what I wasn't being given, when that person called me and said, I'm coming over to give you a scholarship check for $5,000. Lesson learned for that day. I hope for days to come. So here is my invocation. I heard this from Vice President Kim Brown at Sanford when I told her this story this week. She said, here is our invocation. People without problems are people we don't know well. And as George W. Truett said in that sermon about our burdens and how we need to open our eyes, oh, if we knew what others were going through, how different would be our words and actions. I'd also like to offer a prayer on behalf of my own mother for you to pray for her and also to let my mother stand in for all of those in need in your family.
Our first scripture reading is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Our second lesson from Scripture is found in the Gospel according to Luke, the 17th chapter. I'll be reading verses 11 through 19. Familiar passage to uh, most of us as we have uh, studied Scripture, but uh, as we read it, hopefully we will hear it uh, anew, afresh, and it will speak to our hearts today. In honor of the Gospel, would you please stand as it's read, if you're able. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village, and as he was, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. 
This is a word of God for the people of God. Good morning. Hello again. We were together in Sunday school this morning, so this is a treat for me to get to see these, this great group again. Hey, good morning. Uh, they weren't in Sunday school this morning, <laughs> but soon, maybe in a few years, okay? Okay, tell me now, what special day is coming at the end of October? That's right. Actually, it's not really a holiday. You don't get out of school for that. But you get to do special and fun things. No. Now tell me, when, when we see vampires and goblins and werewolves and witches, we know that there's really no such thing as that, don't we? That's just make-believe. But it is a great day to dress up and get candy and have fun with your family and your friends, isn't it? One of my very favorite books is this. It's called The Magic Pumpkin, and it's really an old book. But, you know, sometimes the oldest things are the things that are most loved and are the best. So I keep saying. And um, so I want to read. I don't want to read the whole story to you. I'm going to tell you a little bit and show you some pictures. It's sort of a small book. So I made the pictures a little bit bigger so everyone can see. <coughs> Now, the story is about a man whose name is Mr. Squiggs, and he lives in a town of Dayfield, and he is ornery. He is mean. He doesn't like adults. He doesn't like kids. He doesn't even like animals. And what's more, no one in Dayfield likes Mr. Squiggs either. Look at that. Look at that sour face. He, but he does like Halloween. Now, what he'll do is he'll go to the pumpkin patch, and he'll find the ugliest, most ugly, terrible pumpkin because he thinks that's the best. And he'll carve an awful, scary, mean face. It looks like this. It was dreadful. It was scary. It was frightening. It was mean. Look at that face on that pumpkin. He puts it out on his, on his porch, and he hides behind the curtain, and he listens for the kids to come by and scream, and, and they're afraid. And he's never disappointed because every Halloween his pumpkin would be scarier than ever before. And every Halloween the children would scream louder than ever at that frightful sight. Look at that awful looking pumpkin. Scary, scary looking face for the kids. One Halloween, Mr. Squeeze went out to the pumpkin patch, and all that was left were those ugly pumpkins that weren't shiny, they were sort of dirty, and the man said, well, the only pumpkin left is this, is this ugly one, but it has this gray dust on it, but you know the gray dust is magic dust, 
Mr. Squig says, huh, I don't believe in magic, and you shouldn't either. So look at that pumpkin he's taking. It's not round. It's sort of squishy and dirty. And he carved the ugliest, meanest, most frightful pumpkin he could, he could do. And look at it. sitting out on the porch, and he's behind the, the curtains, and he's waiting for the kids to come by. See that magic, ugly pumpkin. And you hear them scream. But something was happening to the pumpkin. The pumpkin wasn't waiting around. It was too busy. It puffed up its mouth. It wiggled its ears. It blinked its eyes. And the magic began. Something's happening to the pumpkin. Look at it. The face is changing. And it changed into the happiest, smiling pumpkin you've ever seen. And the kids gathered around the pumpkin, and Mr. And Mr. Squeeze was listening for the screams, but he heard the children laugh and clap, and that he saw the smiles of the, of the kids. So he went outside to see what was going on with that pumpkin. And he looked at the pumpkin, and something started to happen. His mouth started to smile. His eyes were blinking and started to twinkle. Mr. Squiggs was wearing a smile. His smile was even happier and brighter than the smile on the pumpkin. And smiling made him feel good all over. Happy Halloween, he shouted. Happy Halloween to everyone. Now he's smiling and happy. Every Halloween, Mr. Squiggs now has a big party. The kids are invited. The adults are invited. Even the pets are invited. Mr. Squiggs carves a friendly face on a big round pumpkin. He always has the best pumpkin in town. Maybe something like this. That's a smiling pumpkin. You know, Mr. Squiggs' heart was changed, wasn't it? From being mean and, and nasty to sort of nice and happy. But we really know there's no such thing as magic dust, really, right? This is just a story that the author was telling. But we do know that God really can change hearts. A few weeks ago in Sunday school, we had a story about Zacchaeus. He was lonely. He was cheating. He was mean to other people. But Jesus came over to his house and talked to him, and he changed his dishonest, mean ways. You know, by asking God to lead us in our lives, we can find happiness in our hearts. We can find the right way to live. We can know how to make good choices. And we can know a peace that only God can give us, even when we are sad, we're mad, we're lonely, we're stressed, we're in trouble. We will have someone who will be with us always, no matter what. And that's because God promised it to us. Can we say a prayer? Dear God, thank you for being with us always. Thank you for coming into our hearts and leading our lives and being with us always, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you join me as we come before the Lord in prayer? Oh, Lord, how wonderful is your name in all the world. You're the one who has created all that is and sustains life day by day. With thankful hearts, we assemble here this morning, and as we do, we do so as a family of faith, your children, united together, to give thanks and to praise you. Oh, Lord, we confess our shortcomings, and we acknowledge our absolute dependence upon you. We thank you for your love and for your continual presence in our lives and for the mercy that we have been shown and the grace that we have experienced. Oh, Lord, we thank you also that each person here, from the youngest to the oldest, can come before you and have equal access to you, that we are all loved equally by you. We thank you for the freedom we have in Christ, and we thank you for the freedom we have here to live out our faith freely. Help us, Lord, to embrace our faith, to be faithful to your teachings, to rightly divide the word of truth, to live out our lives and our faith so that others may experience the joy of a life centered in you. Awaken us to your spirit, O Lord. May your hand guide us day by day. May we obediently follow you wherever you lead us. O Lord, may our response be one of love and commitment to the person and the teaching of the one who has redeemed us, even Jesus Christ our Lord. We bring before you many concerns that are on our hearts. We pray for the nations around the world and the people that are caught, the innocent people caught in the midst of conflict and war. We pray for our own nation and for the division that we sense and we experience day by day. We ask, O oh Lord, that there might be healing and that there might be a sense of strong and deliberate efforts to, to understand one another. O oh Lord, we pray for the families around the world that have experienced violence, especially those that have experienced it in the name of religion or out of hatred for their brethren. Lord, we come knowing that everything that we have is from you. And we know that as we pray and offer our prayers that we do so with the privilege of also praying for those that are close to us, our friends, our family, the acquaintances we have. And so we lift up them to you now. For those who are dealing with end-of-life issues, may they have a time that is both meaningful and comfortable, but yet may they sense your presence in their life. We pray, Lord, for those who are dealing with chronic and terminal illnesses. Be with them as well. Be with those here who are struggling with knowing and understanding what they might do next with a fear of uncertainty, of loss of job or of health or family situations or just a sense that things are not going very well now. May they feel your presence too. And may you guide them and may you guide us as we seek to help others. We pray, Lord, for those who are struggling spiritually. May 
your presence be very real to them even now, and may they experience your love and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness that overcomes all. Hear us now, O Lord, as we, your children, pray, even as Jesus taught his closest disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Kenny, thank you for <clears throat> the words of introduction of the new uh, choristers up here and um, all the others. We give you thanks for, for uh, being here and singing, and we will continue to pray for you all, too, as those are students and dealing with those uh, student issues that tend to come their way, as we've all remember what those were like. Today, as we gather, we do so with a, a sense of... of um, being a little bit relieved over a, a little bit of better weather, cooler weather. We feel our spirits a little bit uh, up more so than they have been before because of that. They were sort of uh, beaten down by the, the heat of the days that we'd experienced in the weeks past. So we come and this, this anthem of Alleluia's was indeed 
a great one for us to have today as we give thanks to God and praise God for all that God has done and is doing and continues to do. Living today in the world that we live in, there's oftentimes that we struggle with understanding exactly how we can, can go on with various different problems we face. But as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of a particular hymn. And it begins like this. I'll not sing it, but I will just read you the words of this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You know, when you hear those words, they stir something within most of us. Maybe it's a little bit of nostalgia, thinking back to when we've heard those in the past and we remember singing them um, growing up perhaps. But the words also resonate for another reason, I believe. And that is that the grace of God is something that does permeate. It's not so easy to understand, but it is indeed something that transcends our whole understanding of how things ought to work. Because the unmerited favor, that divine assistance that we receive for uh, in all of life, but especially as far as our salvation, our forgiveness, is something that doesn't seem to balance or square with all the things that we know we live by. That is the cause and effect. In fact, we don't even think about grace too much. We usually just go about our lives doing what we do and continue on. We might offer a prayer occasionally at a meal, and maybe we offer it at, especially at special seasons of the year. But nevertheless, grace is something that's always with us, always with us. There is a story about a pastor who, and it could have happened. I'm not sure it did. It could have happened. He was an outdoors person, and he loved to hike. And so as he hiked along the particular trail in the mountains, in, in the Rocky Mountains, actually, he was uh, hiking along, and he stumbled and tripped and fell, and he rolled down a ravine. And as he did, he just sat there a minute to make sure everything was still intact. And as he did, he looked up and he was face to face with a grizzly bear. So what he did was he balled up like you're supposed to. And he did the only thing that any pastor knows to do, and that is, you know, anytime if we don't know what to do, we pray. And so he began to pray, and he began to pray hard. And after he had prayed a long time and he still hadn't been bothered by the bear, he peeked up and he saw the bear sitting there, and he thought, this is wonderful. God has spared me. And so he finally opened his eyes and he said to the grizzly bear, oh, brother grizzly bear, I'm so glad that we serve the same God, that you recognize that he is the one who's created all that is. And the grizzly bear looked at him and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I was just saying grace. God had provided yet again. How do we understand grace? How does it reconcile? How do we reconcile it with a world in which everything should be cause and effect you do something right you should be rewarded something bad you should be punished that's sort of the world we live in we know it doesn't always work out that way we've all experienced that but grace is that unmerited favor in our text today we see a good 
example of this, a picture that's painted by Luke as he records the gospel message. He talks about Jesus being on his way to Jerusalem. It is the travel passage. He's traveling from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And as he did, he went down the Jordan Valley. He would have come near Samaria. This was a fringe area, sort of a border between the two. And the Samaritans were not those who were looked upon highly by those who were Jews. And so as he travels along, he is, knows he will encounter some of those that are the outliers, the outcasts, the marginalized those that live in the shadows, those who have to declare that they are unclean if their presence is close to you or you come into their presence. True to <clears throat> Luke's practice, he always records his encounters or what he sees in Jesus' life this way. He always seeks to humanize, to dignify the individual. He tries to make sure that there's a sense of, of recognizing that they're a person and are important. In this case, he speaks of it being 10 men with leprosy rather than 10 paralytics. In other places, he's spoken of it as being, refers to a man who was paralyzed, not a paralytic, or even when he spoke of the garrison demoniac, he said, a man with demons. Why did he do that? Because he was demonstrating for all who would hear, who would read, that Jesus was going to see and did see and respond to the people as a person, not as a problem. Not as someone that just had a need, but as a person who was a creation of God, something that was of value. And so he intends to directly communicate all of that to us as we think about it, as we read this text and we think about what Jesus did. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's on the outskirts along the border and he encounters these people who come and call out to him. It was not uncommon for Entering a town, there would be our village, there would be those who would call out. Typically, they would be calling in some ways the same way that people call out to you as you walk back and forth through this city for alms, basically, for some help, some money. They would ask for that. And this occasion, though, it's different because whether they knew it was Jesus or not, they called out to him and seemed to believe or know that he might have an ability to do something greater than what they had anticipated and so he sees them and there's an interesting play on words here both in how it says that he sees them and responds to them and says to them go and show yourself to the priest you know is it possible to deal with a problem and not see a person There are those of you who work in hospitals. There are people that work in all sorts of business. There are people that work in the city government. There are people that work in colleges. And is it possible to deal with a problem and not even acknowledge the person? 
maybe acknowledge them to the degree that you have to, but not fully. What Jesus models for us is that there's value in recognizing the person and being able to impart a bit of that which you have received to them. Not so much because you have that much to offer, but because God is there to be present in that situation as well. The one that was healed, as they all 10 left, the one that, again, saw he was cleansed, came back. The other nine may have seen that they were also cleansed, but he came back. And in that, there was something important that occurred. When he saw it, he was grateful, and he returned to tell it. Kenny gave us a description about gratitude. We didn't plan it, but he did. And sometimes we have those things turn around us that really sort of uh, hit home, don't they? They tell us we've jumped, jumped in too quickly. In the case of these, this one that comes back, he was cleansed already, but when he came back, he was also made whole. And that's an important part for us, a important point for us to think about because Jesus said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Of the 10 who came and called out to him, the others were allowed to go back and maybe back in society, go back to their homes, go back to their jobs, whatever. But the one came back and he was a Samaritan, the one who had the least in common with Jesus, the one who cleansed him. And that's important too. It's important because it means that Jesus was concerned about all people everywhere, regardless of their nationality, regardless of where they have been or where they've come from, what's going on in their life. God is concerned about them. When we have, as this man did, the gratitude in our hearts also, we begin to see things differently the whole world around us. So did the other 10 just see Jesus as a physician, but not the great physician? Were they too caught up on what they had been missing in life to give a second thought to, well, you know, maybe, maybe we should go back to this one that's that's provided this. Grace is not always easy to understand. It's like the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. We don't know why that is but that's the way it is and grace also is distributed as the Lord sees fit although it is immeasurably more than any of us can ever understand and comprehend one Sunday school teacher tried to explain it to a class of boys about like Jack and Martine said to them finally grace is the break you get when you don't deserve it the break you get when you don't deserve it it's the, uh, the break that someone coming before a court, uh, before a judge in court, and the judge says, well, you look like you're trying, or I'm going to be gracious to you. And what is, by the letter of the law, is not meted out, but rather grace is extended. Grace is more than, again, we can 
understand, we can comprehend. And sometimes it, it is um, an issue that we bog down in in our understanding. Lewis Meads, who was a theologian, ethicist, and um, professor for about 25 years at Fuller Theological Seminary, and spoke of grace this way. Grace does not make everything right. Grace does not cure all our cancers, transform all of our kids into winners, or send us all soaring into the high skies of success. Grace is rather an amazing power to look earthly, earthy reality full in the face, see its sad and tragic edges, feel its cruel cuts, join in the primeval chorus against its outrageous unfairness, and yet feel in your deepest being that it's good and right for you to be alive on God's good earth. Grace is power. It's power to see life very clearly and admit it is and admit it is sometimes all wrong and still know that somehow in the center of your life, it is all right. This is one reason we call it amazing grace. Grace is the one word for all that God is for, all, for us in the form of Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. Amazing grace extends beyond just for us. It extends to all people. Anne Lamont in her book, Traveling Mercies, describes a time when a fellow church member told about adopting her son through an organization called ASK or ASK. It's an organization that adopts special kids. Part of the adoption process includes filling out a form or questionnaire, checking yes or no to one's willingness to adopt babies that had been born addicted, terminally ill, with physical defects or mental disabilities. She and her husband had checked down the list. Lamont's pastor said this about God in regarding this process. God too is like an adoptive parent who says, sure, I'll take the kids who are addicted or terminal. I pick all the mentally challenged kids and of course the saddest ones, the selfish ones, the liars, I choose them. I choose the disobedient ones and the terrified ones, the self-indulged ones and the troublemakers, the damaged ones and the unlovable ones. In love, I choose them all. I will be a parent to them all. I will end their separation and bring them home to me. That is the gospel. That is the gospel because God's grace is available to all and it doesn't matter if that person is immoral or amoral is Arab or Jew or Gentile to the native and to the illegal immigrant, to the gay and the straight, to the black, brown, yellow, and white. It's all good news because that's what grace is. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, we come before you today with an understanding that we all need your grace. 
It is by your grace that we have been redeemed, but it's also by your grace that we live day by day. Oh, Lord, may we never get to the point to believe that we deserve all that comes our way. But may we also realize that as things do not work out, that your grace is also sufficient. Help us, Lord, to live according to your will and to see others as our brothers and sisters who, see, who need to know and understand that all are loved and are all welcomed into God's family. In your name I pray, amen. Today our hymn of promise is hymn number 583, Jesus Paid It All. And as we sing that, there may be those of you who want to unite with our church or maybe you want to have prayers offered for you. I'll be here at the front during our time of singing and singing this hymn. And if you'd like to come forward, uh, I will be here. There are others that may have never made a profession of faith to follow the Christ and receive that grace gift of forgiveness and of life eternal. Come and I'll be here at the front.
many of you know Peter Pogorelski, who attends our church. He's a faithful member of St. Paul's Catholic Church. Peter has worshiped with us regularly also on Wednesday nights and Sundays and Thursdays men's Bible study. Peter is facing his final journey, and I had the opportunity to visit with Peter Thursday at the VA hospital, and he expressed to me his love and appreciation for all of you in this church and asked for your prayers. As I was leaving the hospital room Thursday, when I was walking out the door, Peter stopped me, and he was holding a pectoral cross, and he said, you know, Mitch, love is about sacrifice. Let us pray. Dear Lord, for centuries we have sung that wonderful song, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. We appreciate your assurances that we've been reminded of today and your amazing grace. The poet Robert Browning reminds us the best is yet to be. We pray for our church that the best is yet to be. And for those of us, many of whom facing struggles in life and challenges and uncertainties, we pray the best is yet to be. And even with Peter and people like him facing death, we know the best is yet to be. We pray for each person here and for all these wonderful assurances that you provide us. We return to you a portion of our finances and we pray that they may be used to glorify this church and your kingdom. May we be the people we should be. We ask it in your name, praying confidently in our love for you.
Lord, receive these tithes and offerings as we offer them today. May you bless them. May they be multiplied and may they be used for the purposes of building your kingdom here. In your name I pray. Amen. Be seated for just a moment and let me make a couple of announcements. One is that uh, we want to welcome all those that are here today. And I wanted to make mention too, Joe's already gone, isn't he? But he had some special guests with him today. He has some sisters he had he had not uh, known about until a few years ago, I guess about a year ago. Is that right? Two years? Three years? Uh, but thanks to technology, we can now locate people. And so these are his half-sisters, and we're, we're grateful that you've been able to be here with us. Um, and we're glad that Joe brought you here today. We hope that all of our guests, those who are uh, with us today, you'll linger long enough for us to have a chance to speak to you out in the narthex. We have some lemonade and cookies there, and we'll be able to talk with you uh, more there. The activities this week are those that we um, usually have for a, uh, a week, although we have a lot of activity here with hosting a family promise for St. Mary's. They're hosting in our building because they're in the midst of a big renovation, and so we're being hospitable and opening our doors so they can come down and, and host here. Uh, but the next week we will be hosting here. As we go, let me offer to you a, a, a benediction. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace of Christ our Savior, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>